a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Coming up on Global Business, unveiling the future. Global trade efforts get impetus as the China International Supply Chain Expo commences in Beijing. The expo is the world's first national-level exhibition focusing on supply chains. Development impetus. China has pledged more efforts for the high-quality development of the Yangtze River Economic Belt. Preserving nature's treasures, China's unyielding commitment to environmental conservation shines bright. The 24th Conference of China Biosphere Reserve Network and the eastern city of Guangdong. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Zhou Yun. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is underway in Beijing. The expo, which runs through Saturday, aims to provide a platform for enterprises to engage in trade promotion, investment cooperation, and learning. The exhibitions cover a wide range of areas, including smart vehicles, green agriculture, clean energy, and digital technology. Well, for more on the expo, my colleague Michael Wan is already standing by at the China International Exhibition Center. Hi there, Zhou Yun, and welcome everyone on site to the very first China International Supply Chain Expo, or the CIS. CE. Now, this indeed is the world's very first national-level expo focusing on supply chains. China says that in a world of rising uncertainty and protectionism, there is an urgent need to strengthen and stabilize global supply chain cooperation. Our Huang Fei is on the ground covering the expo for us and has this report to start us off. China's Premier Li Qiang kicked off the event with a renewed commitment to open market access. Supply chain security and stability are the foundation of development. This requires us to promote cooperation with mutual respect and equal treatment, strengthen key industrial chains and coordinate resources globally. We must avoid arbitrary interference in market behavior, support enterprises in their analysis and risk response, and strive to reduce factors of uncertainty and instability. Over 500 companies are joining the display. Major companies like Tesla, Qualcomm, and ExxonMobil show a strong American interest, surpassing organizers' initial expectations. Among international participants, a notable 36% represent the United States and Europe. We are mainly active in the renewable energy business, solar, energy storage, batteries, um, charging infrastructure for EVs. And China is leading in all these markets, and that's the reason why we are here to find out the latest news, the trends, um, because what's going on in China will affect the world. The expo is seen as Beijing's answer to Washington's de-risking approach. Some multinationals are exploring supply chain relocations to avoid fallouts of the China-U.S. tech rivalry. The World Trade Organization recently downgraded its 2023 forecast for global trade in goods from 1.7% to a mere 0.8%. With high-profile event, China is positioning itself as a champion of globalization. China accounted for nearly a third of the world's manufacturing output in 2022 and continued to play a key role in global economic recovery. 
the expo is both a demonstration of China's own uh, supply chain resilience and a bit for new connections. Industry leaders are expected to delve into critical issues facing global supply chains today and are using this timely platform to shore up alliances amid changing trade dynamics. Huang Fei, CGTN, Beijing. Meanwhile, the Global Supply Chain Promotion Report was released earlier today at the Expo by the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade. Now, that report outlines current development trends in the global supply chain, as well as emphasizes the significance of cooperation in optimizing resource allocation, in accelerating the global economic recovery, and addressing common global challenges. Now, five sub-reports were also released, analyzing the status of global supply chains for smart cars, for smartphones, PV power generation, pharmaceuticals, as well as green wheat. Now, one of the exhibitors at the expo is China National Offshore Oil Corporation, or CNUC. CNUC is China's largest offshore oil and gas producer, and Wang Zhen, president of CNUC's Energy Economics Institute, joins us in the studio with more. Mr. Wang, so welcome uh, to the program. Let me start with a very high-level question for you first. In this age of uncertainty that we see right now, how important do you think it is to really see stronger global supply chain cooperation? Yeah, so this is very important, especially we are facing a time of change, very quickly change or big changes today. Mm. So uh, at least I have uh, three important issues must be addressed. Uh, so the first is... Uh, we are facing is uh, challenges uh, because uh, uh, of the uh, pandemic as well as the world uh, situations. So that need the co- uh, collaboration to push the uh, supply chain and the industry. The second, of course, so we know so the collaboration with is important to reduce the cost mm. to improve the efficiency of industries. The third one, of course, we know so we can share the knowledge. We can uh, share the uh, information. So that would be good for to improve or optimize the process of the industry and the supply chain. Absolutely. I mean, supply chains are so important in a globalized world. We often don't think about it too often because we get that product so fast. It's sort of always in the background. But as we were reporting, there was a global supply chain promotion report and you sort of had a glance at that as well. What are your thoughts on that report? Yeah, so this report is the first published in the world. And at least I think so, uh, we are facing the uh, technology revolution. Uh, we are in the world of the industrial reform and also energy transition. So this report uh, discusses the trend as well as the challenges uh, both China and globally. So I mean some of the key points of the new insights. The first one is focused on the digitalization. Yeah. The second one focused on the uh, renewables and also the new materials and we also the smart vehicles mm. and also we also the green agriculture. So we also this report covered the uh, situation both today and the future. And also uh, list uh, or address the practice of the Chinese uh, current situation. So we we'll also, the, especially in the re- renewable as well as uh, uh, we'll also the uh, vehicles, especially smart vehicles, China is in the front of the world. 
Yeah. And uh, last, of course, so the world need much more cooperation. Yeah. So I believe this report has with uh, uh, this uh, uh, will push the world uh, sit together to think together and to push to let the treat much more globally. I think what you also mentioned when it comes to small and medium-sized enterprises, that's very important because like you said, this expo, we see not only global Fortune 500 companies, yeah, but yeah. SMEs are here as well. Yeah. And it's so important to bring SMEs into the global supply chain yeah. because they are the backbone of yeah. national economies all around the world. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Wang, hold that thought. We're going to come back to you in just a second. Uh, Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng has met the chair of the China-Britain Business Council, Sir Sherrod Cowper-Coles, right here in Beijing. Now, the uh, China-Britain Business Council is, of course, attending the first supply chain expo, and the two sides exchanged views on China-Britain economic and trade ties and international cooperation on industrial and supply chains. Vice Premier He emphasized that China adheres to opening its door to development and is unwavering in promoting high-level opening up. And a British investment minister, Dominic Johnson, said he was exploring efforts to entice Chinese car makers to establish a factory in the UK, emphasizing that such investments are vital to achieving the country's environmental targets. Now, speaking at a foreign direct investment summit on Monday, Mr. Johnson highlighting the importance of strong business partnerships between the UK and China, stating that Chinese investment plays a key, an absolutely key role in Britain's ambition to achieve net zero emissions. He specifically mentioned his aspiration to attract a Chinese car brand, emphasizing his preference for Chinese cars to actually be produced in Britain rather than being imported. This announcement comes amidst several car investments made already in the UK this year, including a new Gigafactory in partnership with Indian EV maker Tata Motors, as well as investments from Japan's Nissan. Now, speaking of EVs, lithium batteries, of course, a key component in the production of an electric vehicle. China is the world's largest market for EVs and a major EV exporter, but Australia has a large reserve of lithium ores, occupying a key position upstream in the global EV supply chain. Our Greg Navarro joins us now from Sydney with more. So, Greg, what more can you tell us about Australia's role in the global production of lithium batteries? Well, look, before we get to that, we'll set the stage. When we talk about the uh, clean energy global supply chain, lithium is a great example because it's playing an increasing role in global transportation, specifically how we get around, as you mentioned, the increasing number of electric vehicles. Look, when it comes to the world supply of lithium, half of it comes from the ground here in Australia. Most of that is sent to China. And when we talk about clean energy, that's significant because basically lithium is used for rechargeable batteries. And as you mentioned, batteries found in electric vehicles. And that helps to explain a little bit of uh, partly uh, China's rising, uh, growing demand for Australian lithium. Now, in the past, it wasn't the most proficient process of getting it out of the ground, the end-to-end -end process. Basically, it was the lithium ore or spodumene was dug out of the ground and then sent to China where it was processed, turned into uh, lithium hydroxide. Now, the carbon footprint from that alone was massive because of the, uh, the amount of energy it took to ship vast amounts of that mineral to China. But a couple of years ago, the Chinese company Tianji Lithium teamed up with Australian miner IGO to uh, build a lithium processing plant. Today, the process is much more streamlined. So basically that lithium ore is taken out of the ground, transported a very short distance to that processing facility where through a very complicated process, it is turned into lithium hydroxide and then sent off to China. Now the move has not only benefited both companies, 
but also both countries. Look here in Australia, for example, it's helped to create a vast number of jobs, pump more money into the local economies in Western Australia, where most of the uh, lithium comes from here in Australia. He's also helped to streamline the process to help meet China's rising demand and the future here in Australia, certainly for lithium, is very bright. In fact, Australia's government estimates that by 2027-28, the uh, global demand as well as the production of lithium in this country will have doubled and revenue tripled. Another way of looking at that is that they estimate that the revenue from those exports of lithium five years from now will basically equal what Australia enjoys today from uh, from thermal coal. That's significant. Thermal coal happens to be one of Australia's top export commodities. Michael? All right, so it's going to look like Australia occupying a key upstream link when it comes to lithium batteries and global EV production. Many thanks for that report. Our Greg Navarro for us in Sydney. Thank you, Greg. Well, our Aaron Liu is also covering the Supply Chain Expo for us and spoke to J.A. Solar for more on green supply chains. Take a look. Hi, here at the first China International Supply Chain Expo. Today, we're going to take you to the solar photovoltaic exhibition area to understand how Chinese solar equipment is helping European people reduce their electricity costs in the context of rising electricity prices in Europe. We can see that their products and the patents mainly focus on solar cells, photovoltaic bundles, and related fields. Due to the increasing demand for new energy development in Europe and the Americas, J Solar doubled its revenue in these two regions last year. In 2022, the company's revenue in Europe was 22.9 billion yuan, an increase of nearly 120% year on year, accounting for about 31% of the total revenue. We also visited Beijing Fengtai Station, which has been officially opened after expansion and renovation. The roof area of the station is over 60,000 square meters, and this space is fully used by laying photovoltaic panels to generate green electricity. Well, first of all, solar PV is by now already one of the cheapest uh, power sources in the world. And as we all know, um, last year, electricity and power prices in Europe um, raised a lot. And with the additional um, installations of solar PV and the additional use of solar PV in Europe, especially last year and also this year, the whole industry has been, has been able to also make a contribution to the reduction of um, electricity costs in, in Europe. All right. I want to bring back Mr. Wang Jin, president of CNOC's Energy Economics Institute for more. So, Mr. Wang, how does CNOC think about clean energy supply chains? Thanks. Uh, as an advocate of clean energy, CNOC always adhere to green, low carbon and sustainable philosophy. CNOC focuses on constructing an integrated clean energy supply carried by the clean substitution, green development, and low carbon upgrade. So the first, so CELOC is the biggest LNG import and the second largest in the world, mm. biggest in the China. So we construct a supply chain of gas plus. So we, uh, together with uh, uh, gas power and uh, wind power and also the uh, cold energy utilization, this is a uh, chain, uh, and second time, so uh, secondly, Synlog addressed the low carbon, and uh, we have the 
biggest trial test of the wind power. So it's offshore wind power. So it's the first floating wind power, which is far from the onshore more than 100 kilometers and 100 meters. So this is the big, uh, the first wind uh, Chinese as the double 100. And the thirdly, of course, so the sealock will also offshore oil company. So we focused on the deep sea. Yeah. So the on talk about the deep sea. So the uh, we know the Shanghai number one uh, energy station. It's a FPSO. That's ranked the first in the globally in terms of the same kites. So stands for the China's offshore oil gas industry stepped into the 1,500 meters in the world, deep meters in the world. So in one word, so the CELOC is an oil gas company, but towards the clean and green, and we are made a very bright future strategy focused on the oil gas to a clean and green energy company. Yeah. So I guess the future of CNOC as well is clean and green. Yeah. We're going to leave it there. If, if today we uh, oil and gas, we become much more clean. Yeah. So as we have a joint uh, research project with uh, ExxonMobil, Shell, yeah. and the local government of Guangdong province yeah. on the CCUS. Yeah, it's always good to see more cooperation between the global oil majors working yeah, yeah. to power us to that cleaner, greener world. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there. Mr. Wang, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Wang Jin, president of Sinox Energy Economics Institute. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Wang. My pleasure. Well, the stability and strength of the global supply chain is essential for developing countries. A correspondent in Argentina has spoken to several business leaders and analysts who consider that its interruption and disruption would generate significant costs to the economies of Latin America. Take a listen. In today's world, the international order is defined by the interdependence of economies and commerce, as well as advancements in technology and new industrial revolution. The key aspect of establishing a new inclusive form of globalization within a more multipolar international order is the revitalization of global supply chains. This form of globalization should be built upon principles of peace, mutual benefit, respect for national development models, and national sovereignty. Over the past year or two, the Chinese government has been restoring disrupted supply chains and building new ones. All countries in the world are interdependent and all economies in the world are interdependent. As the world's manufacturing giant, China has a particularly important role. The production of any commodity or technology is linked to China in some way. As a consequence, China is and will continue to be the core of global supply chains. And that's going to do it for us on site at the Supply Chain Expo for today. Stay tuned to CGTN as we bring you continuing coverage of the very first China International Supply Chain Expo. Zhou Yun, it's back to you. Chinese President Xi Jinping called for the high-quality development of the Yangtze River Economic Belt on Monday. The meeting, chaired by President Xi, reviewed the guidelines on measures promoting the Yangtze River Economic Belt. The meeting stressed 
the role of scientific and technological innovation in driving the growth of the economic belt and reiterated the importance to shore up efforts to coordinate the layout of industries along the Yangtze River. The meeting also urged to raise the regional transport integration, maintain the key national industries and supply chains, and pledged to provide policy support for the area. For more insights on high-quality development in the Yangtze River Economic Belt, we're now joined live by Wu Changhua, Vice Chair of the Governing Council of Asia-Pacific Water Forum. Well, hello there, Ms. Wu. To start with, how do you think the ecological environment impact, um, how does that impact the high-quality development of the Yangtze River Economic Belt, and what specific measures do you think that can be implemented to ensure the environmental protection and promote sustainable growth? Well, thank you for having me again on this program. And uh, as we're talking about high quality or quality growth, as well as the stability of regional economic growth, we know that relies really on the stability of the ecosystems, you know, processes and functions. Uh, if at this moment, as you know, all the data and the facts have been telling us, the Yangtze River, the belt, and watershed ecosystems have been dramatic, dramatically disrupted and disrupted. That is why more urgently than ever, the Chinese government has put a specific law uh, regulating the actions, economic growth, and the planetary boundaries of this particular China's longest river watershed. In the meantime, really look deeper into how to restructure uh, the economic sector, particularly around the industrial sectors there along this river. And a few things actually uh, that are being paid attention to. One, on the biodiversity of the river itself, we are already in the, in the middle of implementing the 10-year fishing ban and just hoping somehow by holding back uh, human activities intervention and we'll be able to bring more uh, you know, fish and other biodiversity aquatic life back to the river. In the meantime, if you look at the land use, watershed protection, as well as the forests and the wetlands, all the other ecosystems there, there are specific actions that are put in place. Very importantly, we are at the critical moment of to shrink our ecological footprint so that we'll be able to return, if not quickly enough, actually, as soon as possible, back to the safe uh, grounds of planetary boundary. Oh, Ms. Wu, what steps do you think are essential to modernize industrial and supply chains uh, restructuring in industries along the Yangtze River in order to ensure the security of national industrial and supply chains? Well, there are a few things, actually. I think the government has already started looking into one. We already said we call it ecological red, line, red lines or boundaries. So we are constrained in terms of how we you know, uh, manufacture our products and goods and the services there. And uh, when we decide to make new investments uh, to build new facilities, we are constrained by the ecological red lines there. In the meantime, we know for sure some of the outdated facilities will probably will be phased out and uh, maybe more to be upgraded than now we know we, we need technologies. So technology has a really critical role to play in this process in order to make sure on one side we improve efficiency, uh, really grapple with the pollutions, uh, but in the meantime, uh, really sort of expand our capability in terms of grow other economic sectors that are more based on solid or sound ecosystem health and the services there. And in that process, as we all know, transition always means the cost and the cost and the, and the losses there. 
And so government policy becomes so critical at this moment from national level to down to the local level, at the regional level. We need to figure out how to put enough policy incentives so that we'll be able to really drive down the pollution, ecological footprints, enhance the resilience, the climate change and, and other disasters. In the meantime, really revitalize our, or re-industrializing our economic sectors there along the river shed. Okay, thank you so much, Ms. Bu, for sharing with us your very insightful views. Greatly appreciated. The 24th meeting of the members of the China Men and Biosphere Program and the third year's anniversary of the establishment of the China MAB Network kicks off today in Huangshan, Anhui Province. It's recognized as a demonstration base for zero carbon initiatives. Huangshan Scenic Area has achieved a significant milestone by becoming the first zero carbon mountainous scenic area in China. This accomplishment comes after comprehensive efforts to promote zero carbon initiatives within the area. As part of the first batch of low carbon tourism demonstration areas in the country, it has successfully achieved carbon neutrality. China's tourism market is witnessing an impressive resurgence with visitor numbers and revenues for Huangshan scenic area surpassing those of the previous year and reaching an all-time high. Our reporter Olivia He investigates the factors contributing to this remarkable achievement. Hey, it's Olivia. Right now I'm in Mountain Huangshan, one of China's most beautiful mountains. This mountain is always bustling with visitors. Even today on a Monday morning, there are still countless tourists here enjoying its beauty. The tourism market in China is experiencing a robust recovery, as is evidenced by Huangshan, which has welcomed over 4 million visitors this year, surpassing its tourist numbers from 2019. Apart from its natural beauty, Huangshan has implemented additional strategies to enhance its tourism sector and stimulate consumption. In order to enhance the cultural and tourism experience for visitors, we have implemented a range of measures to enhance the protection and management of our resources. Our utmost priority is to ensure the preservation of the environment and biodiversity, which is why we have taken the initiative to establish the first ever carbon neutral zone in mountainous region within the country. To reduce carbon emissions, all the trash in the mountain will no longer be burned or buried. Instead, sanitation workers will take charge of sorting the waste and transporting it down the mountain to a centralized garbage transfer station for appropriate treatment. In addition to his unwavering commitment to environmental preservation, Huangshan is fervently involved in cultivating a diverse range of cultural and creative products. Deriving inspiration from its renowned welcoming pine tree, a range of associated products has been expertly crafted and introduced, like the delightful welcoming pine coffee and ice cream. These exceptional offerings have gone viral on various social media platforms, triggering an increasing flux of younger tourists to explore the region. Olivia He, CGTN, Huangshan City in Nanhui Province. With that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. And I'll see you soon, pretty soon on Global Watch. Talk soon.